This is the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health, exploring a wide variety of medical and wellness issues for older adults and their families. Welcome to Clover's Healthy Aging Podcast. I'm Lauren Volkman here from Clover, and I'm here with Dr. Kumar Dharmarajan, Chief Scientific Officer here at Clover Health. How's it going, Kumar? Things are good. Great. So today we're going to be talking about an interesting topic that's dementia and Alzheimer's disease, two super common things when it comes to diseases of aging. So for me, I always thought that dementia and Alzheimer's were the same thing. Is that true? Kind of. Really, dementia is the name for a group of brain disorders that make it hard to function in day-to-day life. They can make it hard to remember things, to think clearly, to make decisions, or even control your emotions. Alzheimer's disease is one of the causes of dementia. In fact, it's the most common cause of dementia. 60 to 80% of older adults with dementia have Alzheimer's disease, but there are many different types. Alzheimer's is a process that starts early, even before dementia becomes apparent. Uh, It happens when proteins called plaques and fibers called tangles, very scientific, build up in someone's brain and block nerve signals and destroy the nerve cells from working. As a result, there can be memory loss that's mild at first, but then it gets worse over time. So to answer your question, they're related, but they're not exactly the same thing. That's interesting. So in terms of the effects of Alzheimer's, I think that we all, a lot of us know someone with Alzheimer's. I had a grandpa with it. We see depictions of it on TV often. It looks really scary and really confusing. But what do we know what it feels like to experience Alzheimer's as the patient? Um, Does it hurt? I mean, what does it start to feel like as, as you're starting to get that memory loss? I think it's a, it's a great question. I don't think it hurts physically. It's not like having metastatic cancer with metastases to the bones and it's just excruciating pain. And I, I don't think there's one way to describe how someone feels with dementia. I think it could be a range. It, it could be initially confusing. My person might be wondering, why can't they remember things that they used to be able to remember? You know, where are their keys? What is this person's name? It can be frustrating when people's dementia progresses and they can't really organize their life in a way that they're used to. They can't, they can't balance the checkbook. They can't make it to you know events that they want to make it to because they just forget. And then as people get more advanced, they may not be able to put on their clothes. It's, it starts as a brain disease, but then it affects the whole body. And so you know, I think it's complex and it's something that for a lot of people, I think as dementia progresses can be something that's frustrating, which really should impact the way we all interact with folks with dementia because we need to be patient because they're just as frustrated as sometimes the people around them. Yeah, I I can totally imagine that. I get super frustrated when I can't think of something and that's just, you know, a couple of times a day if I'm lucky. So can't even imagine how scary that would be. So on that note, how do you know if someone has Alzheimer's or if you are someone that's suffering or think that you might have it? I mean, I have a friend and her mom started like making a lot of mistakes at work. She was actually still working at the time and just was as an attorney was really struggling. And I think that was what caused her to go to the doctor initially. So what are some of those signs that someone is is maybe suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia? That's a great question. It's hard to know for sure. So there's no, you know, real definitive way to say this is dementia just based on what's happening in someone's life. But 
I think the story you, you gave of someone's mom, those were common stories. So someone, you know, may have trouble at work, as you say, they're used to performing at a certain level of function and they just can't do it anymore. Others, they may have trouble coming up with the names of people or things, things that they should know that they've always known. They might forget something that they just read, although I feel like I do that oftentimes too. They may lose or misplace not just a, a throwaway object, but a valuable object that they formerly never would have done that for. Or they may just have more trouble planning things or organizing things. And Sometimes people see that themselves, but oftentimes it's folks in their lives, especially if you haven't you know, spent every day with a person. So you see someone, you see your uncle over Thanksgiving and you haven't seen him for a year. And this year you're seeing some of these things happening and you didn't see it the previous year. And so, you know, you see these progressions over time. And this, so there's no real one way to do it, but, you know, it's these little things here and there that add up. Yeah, I feel like I definitely noticed that with my grandpa is always repeating the same things. And then kind of funny that a nurse, I think, asked him how many kids he had and he said four. He has five. So my uh, my dad said, "Well, which one did you forget? <laughs> which is your least favorite?" Hopefully um, not your dad. Hopefully not my dad. He's the oldest, so I think he he feels like he he got in there. But yeah, little things like that and just hard to hear. So in terms of treatments, what are the treatments for Alzheimer's? Are there medications or behavioral therapy? What what are people doing now to try try to help treat it? You know, I wish I could give better news here, but it's sort of grim from a medication perspective. There are a few categories of drugs that are used for the memory component of Alzheimer's. So there's one group called acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. What they do is they prevent the breakdown of this chemical called acetylcholine, which think about it as a chemical messenger that's important for learning and memory in our brains. And it supports communication, this acetylcholine, between the different nerve cells in our brain. And this drug or these groups of drugs prevent the breakdown of that. So there's more of it floating around the brain with the hope that that preserves those connections. You know, this drug may slow down the worsening of symptoms, but the, it's small at best. And the effectiveness definitely varies by person. There's a second group of drugs approved for Alzheimer's. It's uh, memantine, which regulates the activity of something called glutamate, which is another chemical in the brain involved in information processing, storage, and retrieval from our brain. But again, very mild effects at best. So really, we don't have much there. And some people will say there's actually no benefit from those drugs. I think one thing that's clear is that if there's benefit, it's mild at best. So really, I think a lot of what it comes down to is what we call non-pharmacologic, so non-medicine approaches. So Things like, you know, for folks with Alzheimer's, as it progresses, sleep becomes difficult. You may know these stories. I definitely know with my grandmother who suffers from Alzheimer's, you know, she would be awake at night and sleep during the day. So that we call a sleep-wake cycle reversal. And so what we would try to do are things like what we would call good sleep hygiene. So maintain very regular times for meals, for going to bed, for getting up, you know, making sure that person exercised during the day, had good sunlight exposure during the day, no caffeine after the morning, just to really keep the biorhythms normal. So I think that's really where we are with Alzheimer's, things like that, as opposed to a medication that really makes a difference. So you, I know you mentioned your grandma, I mentioned my grandfather. So if a family member gets Alzheimer's, is it like 
certain kinds of cancers and things like that? Does that make me and you more likely to get it one day? There is a genetic component to Alzheimer's. So generally, a rule of thumb is if you have a family member with Alzheimer's, you are two to three times more likely to get it, a first-degree family member. So think, you know, a brother or a sister, mother or your father. If you have two first-degree family members with Alzheimer's, you're probably five to six times as likely as someone without that situation to get Alzheimer's. But that still doesn't mean it's inevitable. You know, there are, very, there are genetics and specific genes that are involved in early Alzheimer's, but it's a very small percentage of the population who have it. Most folks develop what's called late-onset Alzheimer's. And while there's a genetic component, I don't think we should treat this as, you know, inevitable. I do know that for a lot of folks, there's a lot of fear as we get older, especially if you've had a loved one. Will I be like that person? Will I really lose myself through the disease? I think there are things we can try and do to avert it, you know, like having a healthy lifestyle, keeping our mind active. Because we do know that people keep their mind active, we're generally healthier, lower blood pressure, eat the right things. You know, those things do help in terms of preventing the disease because a lot of folks with Alzheimer's also have lots of little strokes in the brain and other things that could contribute to that memory decline. And so I think being healthy in general helps across all conditions. Alzheimer's is just one of them. Let's go back to that a little bit. So in terms of like brain games and things like that, I know my parents are really obsessed with crossword puzzles. They seem to think that that's going to keep them really spry until they're quite old. Do those work? Does that actually make a difference? And if not, are there any other steps I can take? I know you mentioned diet and exercise, but if you could dive more into this, that would be helpful. Sure. So I think the brain game picture, I got to be honest. So there's not large studies that have shown people who do more brain games, crossword puzzles, Sudoku, or other things are less likely to get Alzheimer's, like a randomized study where they took a thousand people without brain games and a thousand people, they gave them brain games and they saw what happened 10 years later. You can understand why that might be a harder study to do. But that being said, you know, folks who I think just stay active in life and mentally active in life, it helps them in many ways, right? Whether it's their mood, they're less likely to get depressed. And, you know, for older adults, sometimes it's hard to tease apart, well, is this dementia or is this depression? Because folks with depression can get, you know, more inward looking, right? Withdraw from others, do less things, literally talk more slowly. And so I always recommend staying active. There's nothing wrong with that. It is good for us in so many ways, mentally and physically. You know, I think the other thing where... There is pretty clear data now is that if we keep the blood pressure in control, that does seem to avert some or increase the time to developing dementia. And that makes sense to me because as blood pressure goes up, you have things like strokes and other things in the brain. Like high blood pressure is not good for our brain. And, you know, to the extent that it's in control, you know, it helps our brain and helping the brain, you know, helps our thinking in general. Uh, And so, you know, so I think, you know, blood pressure and control, and then other lifestyle things, exercising, which lowers the blood pressure, you know, good diet. I'm a huge proponent of the Mediterranean diet. So I'm less of a proponent of things like, and it could work for some people like Atkins or paleo or, or this or that, but the Mediterranean diet, I generally think of a diet that's very low refined sugars. It has whole foods in it. It has lots of fruits, vegetables, 
low fat fish, you know, plant-based oils like olive oil as opposed to animal fats like lard or saturated fat. Those studies have generally shown benefits for people in many different ways. So I would go with that, whether it's for preventing Alzheimer's disease, not great data, but it should be helpful, or cardiovascular disease where there's really strong data to suggest people are less likely to have heart attacks and strokes. So can you still eat pasta on the Mediterranean diet? You still can eat pasta on the Mediterranean diet. I think it's it's about balance. It's not about saying, you know, you can't do this or you can't do this. Yeah, I, I struggle with the low carb because I love pasta so much, but uh, Mediterranean sounds like they've they would like their pasta and bread as well. So, all right. So if my, uh, like a family member, my mom says is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, what are some things that I can do to help? I know that like my friend whose mom was recently diagnosed, her sister's getting like all the finances in order, for instance, and, and some things like that. So what, what would you recommend as some steps? So I think you hit it right on the head, which is support, right? What your friend is doing. So early stages of Alzheimer's, people can still be pretty independent, right? They, you know, they may still drive, they may do a lot of social activities, volunteer, or even work. And so I think one thing in the support is just helping people deal with the emotional part of that Alzheimer's diagnosis, right? I think that to your point from the beginning, there's a lot of fear there, um, but there's still you know, a lot of productive life to be lived, even if we have that diagnosis, right? So I think that emotional support is really important. And then I think, you know, where we can help in early stages with that organization, right? So helping people, not being condescending about it, like really supportive about it, keep appointments, managing their money, as you said, keeping track of their medications, right? Some people might need some support with managing their transportation, how to get from point A to B. So I think that's really something important in, in the early stages. And then really also having just really productive communication with your loved one, really being listening, a good listener, being patient, understanding the frustrations that may come with having the diagnosis and helping your loved one deal with the frustration and not add to that frustration. Because you know, I could say, you know, with my grandma, I, I wish I did a better job in this, which is, you know, a lot of, you know, someone asking questions repetitively or forgetting things or, you know, leaving the tap running or this or that. It's easy to get frustrated with the person, but it's really not the person. It's the disease process. And so the frustration can be really counterproductive because if you get that person upset, then no one wins in the end. That person then gets more frustrated and then you get, it's very cyclic. And so I think just being calm and there is important. And then as the stages go on, then, you know, that person really becomes dependent on you. So you might need to help that person dress and bathe and get fed and go to the bathroom. And at some point people get totally dependent on their loved one. And so at that point, I think an important thing, it's really hard to do is try and get some time for yourself. It becomes really hard if, if you don't have loved ones or the financial resources for it, but it can be a full-time you know, job uh, taking care of someone with Alzheimer's, especially in the late stages. Yeah. And I feel like in those cases, you definitely need to take time to take care of yourself because you can't take care of anyone if you're not doing well. So I know we've talked about this kind of throughout the, the episode, but in terms of the different levels of Alzheimer's, is it like stage one, stage two, stage three? Or how are those categorized? And then how does the disease typically progress and at what speed? Like, is it like today I forget my keys and tomorrow I can't even shower on my own? Or how does that normally go? 
Great question. So generally, we think of Alzheimer's in terms of mild, moderate, and severe stages of the disease. And, and that can take four to eight years. So it's not an overnight thing. And if there's an overnight change, it's usually not the Alzheimer's disease or dementia. That person may have had a stroke or maybe they're sick from another reason, like they had an infection. And you know, when someone has an infection, they're just going to do worse mentally in many different ways because they're sick. And so it's usually not the dementia. But in terms of the stages, you know, I think of mild as someone who pretty much functions independently and can live by his or herself, but is just starting to deal with the issues of forgetfulness and you know disorganization in their lives. When you get to moderate, that's usually the longest stage and it can last many, many years. There, the dementia symptoms are more pronounced. So a person may have greater difficulty actually performing tasks, such as paying the bills, but they still may remember significant details about their life. You may notice, though, in this stage that someone with Alzheimer's in a moderate stage is getting angry more often, frustrated, withdrawing, because you know the nerve damage in their brain, they're not able to do things that they've been used to doing for many, many years. And it's, I think, deeply upsetting to many folks. And they're not even able to sometimes express that frustration in a really productive way. So you see like the anger, you might see outbursts, things like that. And at that late stage, people might actually start wandering, if you've heard about this, which is they may leave the house, right, and be outside, and someone may have to find them, right? This real confusion about things. And then finally, in the late stage, like dementia is not just a brain disease, then it's a whole body disease. People might not be able to walk anymore. They literally may need food put in their mouth, may not be able to go to the bathroom by themselves, and might need, you know, diapers or other incontinence pads. And so, you know, as the disease progresses, they just need more and more support. So I think for a lot of people, they don't necessarily have the skills or finances or tools available to help their parent, especially when they're getting to those late stages or family member. When is it time to move them into a different a care facility? When When is it time that they can't really, that you decide or they decide that they can't live on their own anymore? Yeah, it's. I, I think one clear time where it makes sense for someone to get more support, either in the home or in a facility, is when it stops being safe. You know, as Alzheimer's progresses, you know, the forgetfulness can really create a danger for um, the patient and their family. So, you know, leaving the stove on or leaving the hot water on, and you know, those things happen, right? Or unable to walk and falling down the stairs, right? So, either someone in that situation needs consistent support and someone watching out over them. And you're right, not everyone is able to provide that. It's great for older persons with dementia when they do have that support because then they can stay at home. And most people want to stay at home because it's what's comfortable for them. It's what's familiar with them. It's where they have their their memories. But I think for folks who can't, I think that's a real time to start thinking about where they really need to be so, so they don't get in trouble. That makes sense. So I think we see people, or at least I know friends and things like that with family members that have lived with Alzheimer's and dementias for over a decade, even in like a fairly catatonic state. Is that fairly common or is Alzheimer's fatal? How does that work? Yeah, Alzheimer's is a disease that can kill someone. So it is fatal. I haven't, from Alzheimer's dementia, just honestly seen someone in that 
advanced, advanced stage for like a decade, as you said, it could happen. Usually that later stage where they're just, you know, folks have really, you know, sometimes they at the advances, they don't talk and, you know, they're just not as expressive in the same way. That stage usually doesn't last many years because at that point, not only are they really sick from their dementia, they're at risk for a lot of other things because of the dementia. Because at that point, usually folks are not moving much, so they're at higher risk of skin breakdown, like ulcers developing on their body, and those can get infected, and people can die from an infected pressure ulcer. Or at that stage, a lot of times folks are having more difficulty swallowing. So... If you're not giving them food in exactly the right way, it can go into the lungs instead of into the stomach because, you know, they're really losing a lot of the things we take for granted, right? We put food in our mouth. We don't consciously think, well, how do I get that food into my stomach? You know, our mouth just works that way and our tongue works that way to get it in the right place. As the dementia progresses, that stops working. And so people develop what's called aspiration and pneumonia. And so... It absolutely can kill people. So, you know, it is really a, a disease that we need to figure out a way to ultimately prevent and then, you know, delay the progression of, for people who have it. Yeah, it's uh, scary stuff. So last question, is there any anything coming up on the horizon that looks like it could be a potential cure? I think I've read some articles coming out recently about some developments in treatment. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, so it's an area where both pharmaceutical companies, biotech, they are pumping in billions of dollars because it's really the disease of our time in many respects. As uh, you know, as we age, we're going to see more Alzheimer's disease. And when I say age, collectively, you know, as a population in the United States and other countries, the older we live, the more we're going to develop diseases of aging. Dementia is one of them, right? It's like the sine qua non condition of aging, I would say. And so, you know, I wish I had more positive news that there was a breakthrough on the horizon. I do think that, you know, it will happen. We will get there. As to when it happens, I don't know. One of the hard things about you know, getting that breakthrough is you really have to study people and develop stuff and give it to them even before the dementia has developed. And then the question is, who's really going to want to go on an experimental drug that could potentially harm them even before they have the dementia? Because once the dementia is there... You know, I don't know of many, you know, medicines or other interventions that actually roll back time. So once the damage is there, it's probably going to be there. And so I think we'll get there. I just think, you know, it will happen hopefully during our lifetimes where we see, you know, really effective treatments of preventing progression. And, you know, we just have to keep our fingers crossed. Well, it's good to hear at least that there's a lot of investment going into it and that it's something that people really care about. That makes me hopeful, at least. All right. I think that's it for today. So once again, this was Clover's Healthy Aging Podcast. I'm Lauren Volkman. We've been here with Dr. Kumar Dharmarajan. Thanks, Kumar. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. If you like what you heard, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to share with your friends and family. For more information about Clover, visit www.cloverhealth.com.